Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hey, it's Friday again, and I just love when we have a beautiful stretch of weather. It's, it's so nice out, and it's been in the 80s all week here in New Jersey, and it's it's just beautiful. But it brings us to the same old thing where dogs are getting issues, and today we're going to talk about some health and uh, and temperament issues. And what to look for is so many of you guys are either new dog owners or it's your first dog you've had since your parents raised dogs when you were a kid. And you have questions, and some of those questions are really wonderful, but some of those questions we're going to answer tonight. Let's start with, what do you do when your dog is kind of fussy and finicky eating? Now we think, ah, you know, maybe he's just not hungry. But sometimes when a dog isn't hungry or a dog doesn't appear to eat all his food and he's you know, acting kind of normally, but he's not eating. Sometimes that can signal that we have some digestive problems that are just kind of brewing. Things can range from a dog having worms, a dog having giardia early signs, a dog having different types of allergies. Um, some dogs can run out in a park or they can go to a dog park, which I'm not a fan of because of all the germs and diseases that are there. Even if your dog doesn't have a bad uh, behavioral experience, they certainly can have some issues with all the, you know, urine and, and feces and all that that are kind of hanging out, even in a good dog park. But we have things like, you know, anaplasmosis and, and ehrlichiosis that are tick-borne, uh, obviously Lyme disease. All these things can cause the dog to not, you know, maybe sometimes, especially with Lyme, you know, you see them a little achy, they're a little slower, but these things can also cause behavioral issues. Why do they call this behavioral issues? Because anything that crosses the blood-brain barrier can cause inflammation or swelling or other issues in the dog's brain, and that can cause behavioral issues. It's the same reason I tell you not to use things that are harmful to, you know, for dogs to eat, like the corn, wheat, and soy. Wheat can cause inflammation, not in every dog, not in most dogs, but if you're listening, I pretty much guarantee you that you've had some issues that you haven't been able to resolve with your current situation. So if you haven't been able to resolve them, come on over. You can actually even uh, send us questions through the studio, and uh, you, you'll be surprised at some of the great information that you'll be able to pick up. So let's start a special dog. His name is Chase. He's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. He's not mine, uh, but he's a very good friend. He started as a client, and he's a very good friend now. And um, Charles had this dog. He adores this dog. His dog is a wonderful guy, and he has the best feet in the world. And you'd have to know, see his cute little feet. But he, for about two weeks, has been a little fussy with food. He's been eating, and then he's kind of not eating, then he's eating half, and it just wasn't right. Some dogs will go off of their food when it's hot weather, if, especially if you don't have air conditioning. But even just things like, when we're around 4th of July, which we all just lovely, you know, we celebrated, but dogs, uh, not all dogs do well with 4th of July and fireworks and noises and such. So I got a phone call and um, I said, you know, I think we need to get him to the, to the vet because is there something, isn't there something? It could be absolutely nothing. Um, one of the great things that, that we will often try on our dogs uh, that you should check with your vet if you do. But if your dog is a finicky eater, especially in the mornings, a lot of times the dogs will 
and, and less so in the summer when the kids aren't leaving, and especially since everyone's working from home. But you'll see dogs who just won't be, seem to be hungry in the morning. And you think, like, wow, what's wrong with them? Some of these dogs will go out and eat grass. Some of them will just vomit up bile. And people get all upset. Oh, no, what could this be? But it can be a behavioral issue where the dog starts looking around and realizes that when the sun comes up, that all of a sudden his responsibilities begin. Anyone who's ever laid in bed for that extra five minutes just wishing that you didn't have to get out from under the covers, you know what your dog is feeling. It's that stress and anxiety your dog might have, potentially, because your dog realizes that, well, when you get up and he has to get up, now he's got to start his day again, and he may have to protect you again. He may have to provide for your needs and his own. So that can be something, and that's something, again, check with your vet, but that is something that can often be helped, um, and at least you know what it is, by giving Pepsid AC. Uh, Pepsid's a great thing, Famotidine. Famotidine is an acid controller. There are a lot of different ones, um, and they have different purposes and uses, actually, with dogs. So it's kind of an interesting thing to see um, all of the options that there are available for dogs. But if you do that, and all of a sudden your dog is eating normally, is eating his full meal, then that can definitely be caused by stress and anxiety where his stomach, his belly gets just a little bit feeling not so great and a little under the weather in the morning because he's stressed having to have that responsibility again. So if we look at it and we say, okay, that that's fine that if that happens. But how about could there be something wrong? Well, of course there could be something wrong. We believe that it's probably a helicobacter that's taken – um, a little bit of residence in Chase's belly, where the, the stomach wall, so there's no in, obstruction or impaction. Dog did not eat any foreign body. Um, and again, that's something, please don't give veterinary advice. I preface everything by saying I'm not a vet, even though I know exactly what I'm talking about and I have massive amounts of knowledge. I still tell you, go to your vet. So when you start getting on social media and start posting and telling everybody what they should and shouldn't do, remember that if they take that advice and the advice turns out to be wrong or harms their dog or doesn't help their dog, you're actually liable. So don't offer free advice. You know, I always say it's that that advice is worth what you pay for it. And I would not be doing that if I were you guys. But what do you do when somebody tells you, hey, you should be inducing vomiting. You can give your dog peroxide. And then he'll throw it up. Well, you know, that's one of the dumbest things in the world to say, because if you don't know or don't think that your dog did eat something or ingest something, if it's something that is a problem, let's say the dog eats something caustic, the body will balance it out to a degree, but you don't want to have a dog vomit it up now because it's going to burn again on the way up. It's going to do twice the damage to the trachea. So that is definitely an issue. Um, another thing is if a dog has some kind of uh, latent obstruction or impaction and now he's retching, all it's going to do is make it worse. It's going to put more pressure. And God forbid he's getting ready to bloat. You're putting pressure on the stomach that has a gastric torsion and it can't get out. So, you know, we have to look at it as, 
when your dog has something and when your dog appears to look in a certain way, the easiest thing to do is go to your vet, which brings me to the next thing. Insurance. I spoke a little bit about it last week. Pet insurance is such a great idea, um, especially if you have a, a pet who tends to get into the same trouble all the time. So, of course, if your dog has had a foreign body from eating it and you go and get insurance, most insurance companies are not going to cover it because dogs already done that. Or if a dog already has cancer, they won't cover that type of cancer. But if you start when they're pretty young, um, it's not very expensive at all. But what's lovely about it is the ability to give your dog or your cat everything, the best of the best, and you're only paying 10% for it. Well, I use the, the one particularly true pen, and I'm going to try to get them on as guests um, in a future week for this show. But you have to think about it also. Can you afford for your dog to get sick? If your dog, let's say, was injured, broke a leg or something, and needed complex surgery, we just had that with our dog, Gus, um, who is a service dog, and, um, you know, it was one where we were going to be placing. The, the surgery, all said and done, and all the care was over $7,000, and that was with a very large discount to the rescue. So $7,000, we didn't have insurance on him because I can't insure every single dog we have. My own dogs are insured, and, and several of the program dogs are insured, so we've got like 12 dogs insured, I believe, now. But... Boy, oh boy, does that hurt when you have to pay a $7,000 bill. If we had had insurance with, let's say, a $250 deductible through one of the really good insurance companies, we would have had to pay $250 plus 10% of $7,000. So we would have had to pay $950 instead of $7,000. It is a great thing. And the funny, the people who tell me, but I can't afford insurance. If you can't afford a $50 insurance policy a month for your dog, you probably can't afford a $10,000 vet bill. So just think about it. Give it some thought. And what it turned out is with with little Chasey Man, he um, ended up, we believe, having heliobacter, and it thickened the stomach wall, which is why he kind of felt a little off, and he felt almost a little bit like he'd already kind of eaten So if he feels like he's already eaten and he's leaving some of his food, but he's playing otherwise, then when his belly is empty, he feels better because his belly doesn't feel overstuffed. Now, think about, could you handle a $10,000 vet bill or a $5,000 vet bill? Think about it long and hard because if you couldn't, you definitely need to get insurance of some sort. And even the way your dog is treated, your dog will have much more access to things like MRIs or CTs or chemotherapy or or supplemental care, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, If your dog needs to have acupuncture or your dog needs physical therapy, all of these things are really important. And if you're going to take good care of your dog, give them the best. So we're feeding them really great food. You're listening to the show every week and you're learning a lot, I hope. Well, Think about that, too. If you can't afford to have your dog have a 5000 or $10,000 surgery or whatever he needs, then you probably need insurance. So we've talked about that. Let's go forward on things. Now, 
talking about the heat, there are a lot of things that are really prevalent in the heat right now. We have a lot of bacteria and protozoa that are growing and, and lurking in wet grass, in water, in ponds, in just things that you have where larvae and maggots and things are accumulating in like an old little bucket you had outside, an old dog dish you don't use. Get rid of standing water. And when it's really moist out and really humid and your dog comes in, it's not a bad idea to wipe his feet so that when he, when he comes in, he's not licking his feet and ingesting whatever he just walked on. That is another thing that is a really good idea. You don't have to do it in the winter. You know, it's just really salt. Um, but in the summer, there can be all kinds of bacteria and protozoa, fungi, and just crazy stuff that's out there. And you definitely don't want your dog to have a problem with that. So there are some other things. Obviously, don't leave your dog in a hot car or your toddler, please. But what are some other things that are out there lurking in the grass or whatever? Ticks, fleas, chiggers, different things like that. If your dog swims in a lake or swims in a pond or goes in the river, um, yeah, you know, that water is probably not going to be clean enough. It's not a bad idea for you to wash your dog off afterwards if he does get wet because all kinds of things can grow and think about some of you guys who have like a great Pyrenees or a real long-coated golden retriever, um, a husky shepherd, German shepherds, any of those dogs that have a lot of hair, some of them, the hair takes so long, like a Commodore or a Pulik, those are corded breeds. They have like cords of like, I say it's like the Rastafarian dog kind of thing. Uh, they have big like box braids uh, that are like, dreadlocks, if you would, and they don't dry out really quickly. So if bacteria or fungus or protozoa gets in there, it stays wet. And things like E. coli, they can hurt or kill your family, especially young children. Um, If you go to a petting zoo with your kids, don't have them touching the animals. Little kids put their fingers in their mouths. You know, all you're doing is taking a chance that that child is going to contract a rare E. coli, uh, like one of our very, very special kids who's uh, get, just got our, a service dog through us at Merlin's Kids. A little girl went to um, a petting zoo when she was two years old with her family, had a great time, and within weeks she had had very significant brain damage and paraplegia, um, just horrible, and she's not the same little girl anymore. So I'm not telling you not to do these things, but don't let your little kids go up and stick their fingers in the mouth of a goat or a sheep or whatever's there and, you know, all kinds of animals and walking around in their feces and they eat the hay off of that and they have it in their mouths and or they have it on their hair because they lay down in it and the child pets the animal, gives it, you know, food and gives themselves to eat the cookie with the same hand. No matter how careful you are as a parent, it's you just got to be careful. So going and, and taking your dogs to these places or to dog parks, not, not all because some of them are wonderful and clean, but there are some dog parks or par- areas that are frequented by a lot of dogs that your dog can pick up all kinds of stuff. So think about that, right? 
Another thing people don't think about, yes, dogs can be allergic to bees and wasps and hornets. Um, I've told the story. I was out at the beautiful lake in, um, in Missouri out near the ranch, and I had Wyatt with me. This was about four years ago. We were with some good friends who came out to pick their service dog for their daughter. And uh, all of a sudden, Wyatt, who I never heard say a word, never cried, no matter whatever happened, never complained, Wyatt was whimpering and jumping around like a, like a jelly bean, like crazy, like a Mexican jumping bean, and rolling around and, and flipping around and trying to bite at his back legs. And I noticed he had stepped in a hornet's nest that was in the ground, and we were walking, and he just happened to step in it. Well, I started trying to swat these things, and then they went after me, and we both wound up with some pretty significant hornet stings. Um, we had an EpiPen, but Wyatt was really swelling up quite badly, and uh, luckily a good friend from out in Missouri um, ran over to the store, uh, nearest drugstore, got us a ton of Benadryl, and I popped the, the Benadryls into his mouth. I put um, about 75 milligrams because he was a big dog. And uh, the gels, and I just op- popped them right open. And he, um, he thankfully, he made it through fine. And he was on some uh, steroids and, and Benadryl. But, you know, take that kind of stuff with you. If your dog gets stung or, or hurt, um, you need something. You need Benadryl. You need an antihistamine or something that happens, ask your veterinarian to give you a little bit of a, like a first aid kit. So not just vet wrap and bandages and, and you know, mupirocin or, uh, or neosporin or whatever, but also potentially some chlorhexidine wipes, which would clean off if there's a cut or a wound that you can clean it. It's that blue kind of uh, anti-fungal anti, um, antimicrobial scrub kind of like betadine, but a little bit easier on the skin. Um, You can ask your vet to give you a little bit of stuff like that and just put it in a little Ziploc bag and carry it with you. Don't leave it in the car because a lot of these things will uh, lose efficacy if they're in um, a heat, especially um, in a heated area where they might be in the car that goes well over 100 degrees, 120 degrees, and it can damage some of those medications. But make up a little uh, list of things to ask your vet next time you go in. And another thing that's a great idea is to have a bottle of water, just a regular bottle of water. Now, if you leave it in your car long enough, it will probably kind of pick up some, some bacteria. But it's also not a bad idea to have a cooling cloth in there. And you can put that, like wet it and put it over the dog or on his belly or let him lay on it. And that will cool him off. As you guys may or may not know, dogs have no sweat glands. So if your dog is overheated, the only way to really cool him down is to douse his belly and the inside of his legs, the the inner thigh and the inner, like the forearm and the armpit. Um, And you can also put some water, not in the ears, but on the outside and inside uh, flaps of the ears if it's a down-ear dog or put it on the outside if it's an up-ear dog. And just don't dump it, but just wipe it. And what will happen is it will evaporate the same way that the reason we sweat as humans or perspire is that our bodies are trying to call more 
cool air, some coolness out of the heat. And as the water evaporates into the air and into the environment, uh, it does produce um, coolness. And if you have a big hairy dog or a little hairy dog, you better figure out a way before something happens to treat it. So it's really a good idea. If you have like a chamois cloth, you know, like you'd use to dry your car, those chamois are really wonderful. They, uh, you know, you can wet them down, just put water on them, you know, kind of wring them out and just place them um, on top of, of the dog or even underneath the dog. But you can cool your dog down in case he does get susceptible or get heat stroke or anything like that. So another thing, obviously, is bring a bowl of, of water with you. Bring some fresh water. Bring a bowl with you. You can even bring uh, a little something like a doggy power bar kind of a thing. Uh, bring them a, little, a couple of treats in case you're gone a long time. You go hiking and you're you're out till, you know, 9 o'clock at night. Um, obviously, you don't want to feed them if you're doing a lot of exercise and you're really walking around um, and he's still, you know, kind of working out. No, but... You know, sometimes it's not a bad idea if the dog is, you know, scrounging around foraging to see if he can find food because he's hungry because it's 7 o'clock at night. Um, you can give him a little mini meal. So all these things are different possibilities that you can do um, to help your dog. Now, how do you know if your dog has something? Like, obviously, heat stroke, we know. We look at the dog. He's panting. He's maybe passed out. Um Obviously, those all those things are not really helpful, and they're not good for the dog. But what happens if your dog goes to, let's say, the dog park or it goes somewhere, and the dog appears to, um, you know, be okay, but after a few days, you kind of notice, like, yeah, he seems a little bit out of it. That can definitely be also a case of, you know, the dog potentially... Um, needing something that you don't have. And going to the veterinarian, I mean, if you've got a good veterinarian and you have a good relationship, you should call them. I, I've heard more complaints that people say, oh, I can't get into my vet for like four and a half weeks. If you call your vet and you say, my dog is overheating, I'm really worried, they will tell you, Rush in, right? If a dog gets hit by a car, what do you think they give them an appointment two weeks later? Of course not. They make sure that the dog is okay. So if you do feel that it's an emergency, be confident in asking your vet to take the dog in or go to an emergency clinic and explain your concerns. Don't say, well, you know, I don't know if it's a big deal. He's done this before and he's been okay. Because if He's done it before and he's been okay. Why are you going to the emergency room? The point is, if you want the vet to see your dog, then you need to make sure that the vet understands that this is a major issue and that you feel that the dog could potentially perish or be in very bad shape because if he doesn't see this vet, he's going to have more critical issues. So, again, a lot of it is making sure that you communicate effectively with your vet and and don't be kind of ashamed or afraid. Just just do it. You can, you can ask. Um, now, what happens if you have a true surgical emergency? Your dog is bloating or your dog breaks a leg or, God forbid, gets hit by a car. 
Do you go to your own vet or do you go to the nearby one? That's a really tough question. I want to help everybody with that because that is something I hear a fair amount pretty frequently. The question is how critical is the dog? I had this happen to me uh, with two different dogs recently this year. The first dog I knew was bleeding out. She actually ended up, I was going to the closest emergency vet, which I love, and I was on my way, and she actually passed on on the way, about five minutes from there. Another time, though, and I went there because I knew it was critical. Another time, though, with a different dog, obviously, I knew I had a problem, but I knew that the local place wasn't going to be able to give the overnight and that constant, steady communication and medical attention because... I knew that this other place would have 24-hour staffing, a lot of criticalists and all that, and I went all the way up there. Did she make it? Yeah, she did. She did She did really well. But if I had gone to the local place, she might have died the first night because the, the first night was when she was having so many issues. So make sure that you don't wait until the last minute. If you have a dog or you have a cat, you have any kind of pet, Make sure you speak beforehand. Call vets, local vets. Call the emergency clinics. What do you guys charge? Do you take insurance? What kind of insurance is the you know? Do you guys think is the best? I'll tell you that also. Um, but let them kind of guide you. Most of the time, I really do feel that veterinarians have the best interest of the animals at heart. So, you know, if you ask them and you say, "Listen, I live a half hour away." Where's the closest place? They may tell you, oh, there's a place five minutes from you that you didn't even know. And most of the vet clinics that I've dealt with actually are very, very good at caring more about the dogs than the dollar. Certainly there are a lot of places that work on commission where the veterinarian makes more money depending on the surgeries or the procedures. And some veterinarians are knife happy or scalpel happy because they... um, you know, they know they're making commissions. But I do believe wholeheartedly that most veterinarians went into it for the right reasons. And I do believe that those right reasons are um, things that are going to drive them to do a good job, to do everything that they're supposed to be doing and doing it for the right reasons. But when you do go into an ER, there's some things that you want to check, some things you want to ask about, and we're going to go into that after the break in a few minutes. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. So I promised that we would talk about some other things after the break, and here we are. So let's discuss about the different things that are our options. There are great things that you can do in the summer to keep your dog healthy. Um, and especially if it's a service dog. Now, if you do have a service dog or you have a dog you're training to be a service dog, you should consider having two different kinds of vests. If you have a dog or, um, you know, hairy dog, furry dog, dog that tends to get overheated, a brachiocephalic one, which hopefully you're not using a pug if you live in Southern California because it's not going to be able to do anything other than hope and pray it can breathe. But if you have a dog Um, We were talking about a little doggy um, first aid kit kind of a thing. Part of what you should also have 
is um, a little bit of doggy Pedialyte and something for the dog to drink and potentially eat. Uh, although, if obviously, if the dog is in any kind of distress, you don't want him to eat um, or probably drink, but certainly not eat. And that would be, again, check with your veterinarian. But a lot of people, I think, they get stuck into things. And with everything going on with COVID and this new Delta variant, all these things, and it's so easy to catch. And, it, you know, we're all unmasked pretty much. And when you are unmasked, um, you do have a bit more of a chance of coming up with these things, contracting them. But uh, people have been asking me a lot about, you know, oh, I have a service dog, but he hasn't been out in a year and a half because of COVID. Well, if you don't think your dog is going to behave well, it's probably not trained well enough because you should be able to peel the dog for literally like I've done with mine. I peeled Wispa out of retirement uh, of two years of retirement, peeled her uh, off the couch, threw her vest on, and she was 100%. She did everything just like she did the day I took her vest off and retired her. So I think what happens is we tend to uh, let things go, we'll be nice about it. We tend to sweep things under the rug. If we love our dogs, and of course you love your dogs, they're dogs, how could you not love them? But if you love your dog and you say, okay, you know, I'm going to put a vest on, you know, oh, it's too hot, I don't want to have the vest on, you can get a mesh or much smaller, narrower uh, service vest if you do need a vest. Um, you can get tags, although I really don't like those because I feel like people are just making money on them. But remember, your dog does not have to have identification to be a service dog. It is much easier, and I do highly recommend that everybody who does have a legitimate service dog, either from an agency that is reputable, which is a whole thing unto itself, or it's self-trained, at least you can always keep the vest with you. I sometimes, when it's a hot day, um, and I have Rudy's and Ridgebacks typically, I mean, those are my service dogs, those are my babies. I will, if it's a hot day, I'll have the vest over my shoulder. So if I want to walk into some place, I can put the vest back on and the dog will be in a cool place. But while I'm walking around in 90 degrees, the dog doesn't have to sport the vest. The one obvious exception is if it's a mobility or uh, visual guide dog, right? If it's a guide dog, you need to have something on the dog uh, letting you know that, you know, letting the dog know or, or allowing you to utilize that dog and use its task. But there are different kinds of harnesses and vests that would be very handy for you. You can check those out online. Um, remember, there is no need for a fake ID card. They are not allowed to ask. They can only ask the two very simple questions. Is this a service dog required because of a disability? You would answer yes or no. If you answer no, then that's the end of the conversation. Your dog can't go in. If you answer yes, just remember, don't lie, okay? Don't lie because you can be penalized. So if you say, yes, the dog is a service dog required because of a disability. They cannot ask you what the disability is, right? But they can ask you what tasks or jobs is the dog trained to perform. You do not have to say, well, he, I'm diabetic, so he checks my blood sugar. That's not what you have to say. You can just say he's medical alert and he detects changes in my blood sugar. That's it. You don't have to tell them what the dog does and you cannot be asked 
to demonstrate the task. I always thought that was a great one for somebody to say, well, show me what he does. Would you like me to have a seizure right here and now, and, and you can call the ambulance for me? Go get me some flashing lights, and I'll show you what he does. But you're probably not going to have a lot of people in here when there's an ambulance outside or three ambulances outside your establishment. Probably your food isn't that good if, if they need an ambulance for somebody inside. So you don't have to be nasty, but you should be pretty um, confident about your answers and, and educate and tell people. this is You're not allowed to ask that according to the ADA of 1990, but you are able to ask me two questions. Would you like to know what those two questions are? And hopefully they're going to say yes, and you're going to say, you can ask me this question. Is this a service dog required because of a disability? And I will answer yes. You know, you can ask what tasks or jobs is the dog trained to perform? And you can say the dog detects rising cortisol, okay, or the dog detects blood sugar changes, whatever it is, that's all you can do. You don't have to um, tell them any more than that. And don't get into an argument or a confrontation. Educate people. Most of the time, people are just ignorant. They don't know. They're not sure. So why would you be nasty to them? Because then they might give somebody else a hard time who comes in with a service dog because they say, oh, well, the other service dog person was nasty, so you must be too. I don't know. <laughs> the logic on that, I, I still don't quite understand. But do you understand what you need to do? It's just, is this a service dog required because of a disability? Yes or no. What tasks or jobs is a dog trained to perform? If you say the dog makes me feel safe, that is not a task. If you say the dog makes me feel calmer and I pet him, that is not a task. Make sure you test yourself out. Make sure that you do actually qualify under ADA as having a disability. And then also make sure that you practice. You can practice with a friend, even on the phone or in person, so that you know what it sounds like. A lot of times when we get upset, we don't remember things quite clearly. We might think that we think of something a certain way, but we don't really know. And then when you guys are, you know, walking around and you're, uh, you know, somebody comes up to you and asks you, is this a service dog required because of a disability? It's none of your business. Well, they are allowed to ask that, but they're not allowed to ask that unless they're refusing you admittance. So people always ask me, well, Janice, why, like if I'm in the bathroom you know, with, uh, you know, and there's somebody else in, in another um, area of the bathroom, like in a public restroom. If, if I'm in there and somebody, like some lady just comes up, hopefully, and asks, you know, oh, is that a service dog? What does it do for you? Don't yell at the person. They don't know. Most people really have no clue. They, they think they're not supposed to pet them, but then you have the people who confuse them with therapy dogs, which definitely means that they, they think it's a dog that should be petted. So be nice to them. Be kind to them. Just say, you know, that's that's a personal question. You know, I don't think you would appreciate if I asked you a personal question like that. Or just say that's a very personal question and that, you know, you're not, you know, you're not um, the owner of the establishment or a manager. Um, and, you know, I, I 
happy to answer questions about the breed of dog or the kind of dog or how old it is. But, you know, my medical condition is not anybody's business. But be kind about it. Be nice. Be educational. Be didactic. And and be patient because people are just unbelievable. Now, what happens when you haven't used your service dog in a year and a half? That's your fault because you can still vest your dog up, throw him in a harness, walk around your house, put him in, well, we have safe spots. Put them in a, a down stay or whatever you do with them. Um, practice the skills and practice the things that the dog does. If it's a dog that you are taking to um, college or to work and now you're working from home or, at, or, or distance learning for school, you can still put the dog in vest the same hours that you would have been in school. So if you were taking the dog, let's say, to work from 9 to 5, Nine o'clock in the morning, put the dog in vest, put your mat down or wherever you're going to have your dog lay, take him with you wherever he goes. So you don't have to do it every single day, but do it a couple times a week so the dog doesn't get rusty. It's kind of like, think about, you know, Michaela Schifrin, okay, who's I think one of the finest skiers ever in the history of skiing. She's amazing. What would happen if she decided, eh, I'm going to practice skiing once a week? All of a sudden, she's not going to be Michaela Schifrin. She's going to be great, but she's not going to be that level because you have to practice constantly. If you don't want to practice constantly, then you don't end up in the Olympics. You don't end up, you know, winning nationals and internationals and world championships. But same thing with your dog. How are you going to do well with your dog if you're not taking your dog out and then all of a sudden you take him out? again? Our dogs have 1,500 hours, 1,000 bare minimum, but usually about 1,500 hours when they're ready to be placed. So you think about that. That's, let's say, 20 hours a week, or let's call it 15 hours a week for 100 weeks. It's a lot of time, and that's what we put in. We put in a year and a half to two years with every single dog. So our dogs, if you don't use them for a year, they're fine because they're never going to forget it. But if it's a self-trained dog or if it's from an agency that's really not great and there's a lot of them out there now, you know, you're going to have to probably keep working and working and working and and just don't assume that the dog is just going to be perfect. You also don't want to set your dog up for failure. You want to set your dog up for success. So if you think about it um, and uh, you say, like, okay, if... Uh, you know, my dog is going to go, I'm going to PetSmart. Take your dog, take his vest off, just get him out. Take him out to PetSmart. So he goes out to PetSmart. Now, if you're going to be going to like Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that, take your dog with you to Home Depot or Lowe's. So it's not that you can't practice. It's just you're not looking at creative ways of doing it. One of the most creative ways to do it, go visit a friend or, um, you know, even just taking the dog down the basement on leash in vest or in harness with your uh, safe spot mat or whatever your it thing is that whatever the agency or the individual uses. And take that down into the basement, pretend it's a new place, walk around, set things up, knock a few things over, not your grandmother's vase or anything, but knock things over, move, touch things, touch the dog, touch everything that's there, 
make the dog down, make the dog sit, whatever your tasks are. And this way, the dog is still practicing. It doesn't really matter the location of where the dog is doing that work. It matters more that it is doing that work. If your dog you know, isn't good with other animals and is not good with you know, other dogs or with people, it's probably not a good service dog, right? You, you shouldn't have a dog who is being a problem. You should have a dog who's being a joy. A service dog should not be reacting. And if it is reacting, it may be you creating that reaction. I see that all the time. People, you know, don't think about it and don't, well, there's your key, don't think. Um, so, you know, this is uh, something that, you know, everybody really needs to look at. <laughs> if your dog isn't doing well with other dogs, find a local uh, really good um, behaviorist or find a social group, like a, a meetup group, that your dog might get some experience. And some of the outside things, listen, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's summer. Why are we not out there? And it's important. It's really, really important to keep the dog in condition. Now, one more thing. Um, I think what's super important also, not only have people passed on the old COVID-19, but dogs are starting to get a little fluffier than normal. It's really important that you guys not let your dogs get out of shape. That's something that especially if you're very active prior to COVID or if you're a typically a very active person and now all of a sudden you're not being active, you're, you know, laying around, sitting around, doing what you do. Well, you know what? It's, it's entirely possible and very likely um, that your dog might put on a couple pounds. And if your dog puts on weight, could be something like a thyroid or Addison's or even Cushing's, but it's more likely that the dog is sedentary and is not exercising because you used to go, even though you don't realize it, walking to work uh, from the subway or whatever. Um, might be, you know, a 10-minute walk, but 10 minutes over a year, over 365 days, it's 3,650 hours, right? Uh, if it's 10 minutes. So, you know, we're talking about really a lot of um, time that is downtime that you should be able to um, help out and uh, hopefully be able to, uh, you know, get your dogs into a situation and into um, better health and start working them out. You can also do other things. You can do agility. You can do some you know, different rally obedience. There's some cute things that people can do with their dogs to keep them um, very active. And it would be so uh, wonderful if you guys can actually start working on that. Regardless of what happens with COVID, regardless of how many people get it, regardless of how many people have issues, we will come out of this, okay? I pray for everybody who has or has had it, but we will come out of this. So let's not let all this time pass. Even though you might have let a year and a half pass, start taking your dog now. Start getting your dog into different areas of your house, your neighborhood, uh, your pet store, and, you know, without your vest. Start getting the dog out there so that he is now able to um, 
hopefully get more active, get more, you know, exuberant about his job. I mean, I've seen really great service dogs, like really good show dogs. And we, for like almost a year, we weren't doing any dog shows, Um, you know, and all the dogs got out of kind of out of alignment. Um, Same thing with your service dogs. I mean, the dog may be skilling when you're home, which is great, but public access is everything. The only difference between, you know, your home helper dog and a service dog is public access. A home helper dog can be doing all different kinds of things at home, right, for you. And uh, the key is, of course, is making sure that your dog is sharp and good and calm and confident and quiet when he's out in the, uh, you know, in, in the public area, in the public arena, because if you want him to be a service dog, he's got to behave when he's out there. All right. So that's something that I think everybody ought to start working on. And even if you only can do it once a week or twice a week, whatever you can do, at least you're doing it. All right. You're not just like hanging out and waiting and then complaining that potentially, you know, you're, you know, oh, my dog isn't good in public. My dog stinks when we went out. He was barking or he was dragging me or pulling or whatever. And chances are that if you can prevent that right now, you'll never have to deal with it. So that's a pretty good chunk of what I wanted to talk about today. And probably the last thing I do want to discuss is when you should feed your dog if you're going out on a hike or you're going out to the beach or you're going somewhere stressful or active. Remember when we were little kids, for some of you guys, it might not be that long ago. Remember your parents would never let you eat and then go swimming right away? Why? Because you could cramp and then you could drown, right? Because you would have muscle cramps that would bring you down. Well, it's very similar with dogs. If you're going out for like a really long hike or something and it's going to be warmer or your dog is going to get heated up just by virtue of the fact that he's going for so long, then don't feed your dog at 7 o'clock in the morning if you're going out for a hike at 7.15. Better idea for that would be to give your dog a little larger meal the night before. Give him a very light meal in the morning. Let him come home and spend at least an hour where he's not panting and he's not anxious and he's kind of calmed down from earlier in the day. And then you can give him a medium-sized meal the day, the time you get home, like about an hour after. Why do we want to wait? Well, psychologically for a dog, it shows them that we're above them. But realistically, you know, as we all know, it isn't good to do a lot of exercise within a half hour to an hour of a large meal because your body is going to be working on other things. So... You know, basically, I think the whole key here is know what to do, prepare yourself a little like a first aid kit, make sure you have water, make sure you have some kind of a cooling cloth or cooling rag or jacket uh, for your dog. It's also not a bad idea if you wish, and you can check with your groomer and your vet, although you don't really need to check with the vet, but feel free. If you have a real hairy, hairy dog, like a caisson or a Shiba Inu or a Pomeranian or an Akita that doesn't have any area to cool, 
You can always, like I said, the inside of the leg by the thigh muscles. Um, and you can also take, unless it's a show dog, just take the, the middle of the dog from, if it's a boy, from kind of the boy part forward to under the armpits, uh, a little swath. You know, so if it's a little dog, you might do an inch of, of wide. If it's a large dog, you might do two inches wide. But if you're able to take some of that hair down, you can then cool the dog very effectively in that one area. Um, obviously, the other thing is make sure you bring things for yourself, too, and make sure that you guys are going to have, uh, you know, enough food and water to take care of yourself. So, you know, I don't know, time goes so crazy so quickly. Um, it's already time to go, and it's pretty crazy that it's already uh, the end of the show. But everybody take good care of yourselves. Make sure you take good care of your dogs. Think about getting a good pet health insurance. Um, I'm going to try to have the Trupanion people on. might try to get somebody else on as well. But do the right thing for your dog. Make sure you take care of them. Watch out for bugs and fleas and, you know, all kinds of things and, and, you know, different protozoal things and fungi and all kinds of stuff. Make sure your dog's not eating poisonous mushrooms or licking some kind of a poisonous uh, toad. Um, there's all kinds of things to worry about in the summer, but enjoy yourself. It's gorgeous out and take your dog out when it's nice and cool. Make sure you keep him cool. Have a wonderful, healthy, happy weekend, and we'll see you next week. Take care.